podcast named Play Nobody. Welcome to your tasty menu. Um, hey, was there any news this week about um, amateurism and likeness rights in California? Yeah, there was. Uh, I'm currently on assignment. I am in parts unknown right now, um, recording this as best I can in a very bootleg type of fashion. Uh, we are going to have a traditional tasting menu episode. We'll talk a little bit about some of the stuff that's gone on in the news this week, like Rutgers, like the craziness of the Tennessee situation with that arrest. Um, but for those of you who are asking, and there's a lot of you, uh, we plan to kind of get together in a more formal structured way, probably next week. And uh, God, I hate this word, but it just, I don't know, I guess I have to use it, unpack the situation going on in California and unpack the potential for what could happen in college sports. Um, if you want my, uh, if you want my advanced review of this situation, uh, we're having a lot of fun with it on social media and it's creating a lot of like very cheap knee jerk think PC type reactions, but y'all, this stuff doesn't even start until 2023. That's a world of time for some sort of adjustment to be brokered. And like, honestly, I didn't say I was going to get into it, but I'll, I'll give you this take. I think if anything, it's too small of an advancement proportional to the amount of attention it's receiving. And the NCAA could actually be very smart, jump on this and give this up in lieu of strengthening some other conditions. And I, I, I think we're still a lifetime away from athletes in major revenue sports being paid what they are worth. So uh, there's a lot of context here, though. There's a lot of stuff we got to talk about. There's a lot of potential. And I know a lot of y'all have a lot of questions about, you know, is this going to fundamentally uproot what we understand about college football? I think the short answer is no. I think it's just that college football is always changing. It's like a great, a great cup of coffee never stops heating or cooling. And so it's different every sip you take. Um, and just like we're always living on our way to dying, I think college football is in a perpetual state of change, y'all. So one, calm down. Two, I love you and I see all your questions. We're gonna figure out the best way to talk about them. Um, and maybe even bring in like a like an expert, some somebody in the legal world. Um, and three, uh, I'm really excited about the project I'm on currently. And I don't know when you guys are gonna see it. It is not a TV show, by the way, because when I say project, people think video. Uh, it's a really cool story I'm working on, maybe with some multimedia elements. Um, but yeah, it's good to be good to be on the road. Good to be on PAPN with you guys. We're gonna do a pretty traditional tasting menu, take you through the week. Uh, one programming note: I will appear on the Hurry Up this Sunday, but it will be largely anchored by Richard, as I will be flying at an ungodly hour, uh, very late Saturday, early Sunday, to get back home. So. Uh, without any further hesitation or programming warnings. Um, here's the show. Richard, let's go to the tasting menu. We have football on Thursday, so that's how you know it's going to be a good week. Um, Georgia Southern goes to South Alabama at 6.30 p.m. Central God's Time Zone ESPNU, and Temple goes to East Carolina at 7 p.m. on ESPN. Still bereft of a of a Power 5 game. Um Neither one of those are going to be bangers necessarily. Although, shout out to my parents celebrating their 42nd wedding anniversary, Richard, by going to the Georgia Southern South Alabama game. That is right. I know, a way right? To celebrate it. That's what I'm saying. Very strange. Um, yeah, uh, not a, not a lot to say on these games. Um, we, we're still conceding college football completely to the NFL on Thursdays, which sucks. But yeah, I'll be watching Rams uh, Seahawks. Yeah. Um, Temple's very good, Eastern Carolina. East, oh, man, sorry. Yeah, some, some schools I apologize All to, right. some schools I don't. 
Yeah, settle down there. East Carolina is uh, in the midst of ye old rebuilding. Uh, Georgia Southern, you know, should and will win this game, I think, but um, has not had a particularly impressive season thus far. Did not look good last week in a loss to ULL. Uh, let's move to Friday, uh, October 4th. You have a very good game. Central Florida is at Cincinnati at 7 p.m. on ESPN. You also have New Mexico at San Jose State at 9 o'clock on CBS Sports Network. And if you're looking for some Ivy League uh, at 6 on ESPNU, there's Dartmouth and Penn. Uh, UCF Cincinnati is a is a uh, is a certifiably good football game and definitely the best of the weeknight games this week. Yeah, I, I think last year's you know last year's game with all the hype and all the hoopla around it um, was fun. It was fun to see both those teams in that situation. Uh, college game day, Saturday night football, all that kind of stuff. Um, with Cincinnati, it's going to be a similar situation as it was last year, um, like if that game gets off script and, you know, and, and not a defensive slobber knocker, what can Cincinnati do, if anything, to, to kind of pull it back? Yeah. Bud is going to mention uh, um, his, his interest in this. See, I'm telling you, man, we've, we've rubbed off on Bud completely now because he's, he's prognosticating AAC conference games. Uh, he'll do that in a minute. Let's move to Saturday. Um, let's go to our morning slot, Richard. Iowa is at Michigan, 11 a.m. on Fox. So that whole, uh, big new, or I'm sorry, um, big noon, uh, is actually worthwhile this week. I'm shocked. Um, uh, let me run through these real fast. We'll go ahead and build you out a menu. Um, in addition to Iowa and Michigan, you have Kent State going to Wisconsin, also at 11 a.m. on ESPNU. The Big Ten Network has Maryland at Rutgers. Oklahoma goes to Kansas on ABC. Why? Uh, Oklahoma State goes to Texas Tech on FS1. Purdue is at Penn State at 11 on ESPN. ESPN2 has TCU at Iowa State. Uh, CBS Sports Network has Tulane at Army. Utah State goes to LSU on the SEC Network. Um, And South Florida is at UConn. It says TBA. Well, so so it actually was aid. Um, Basically, that game was at night. Mm-hmm. Uh, was scheduled for a night game. And so there is a, a triple E outbreak with mosquitoes up in the Northeast in Connecticut. I'm serious. Um, when I was driving home this weekend from uh, from location undisclosed in New England, we were, we drove through Connecticut and every one of those like light up like digital road signs or whatever said like triple E outbreak, like et cetera. Um, I think there are some towns in, in Connecticut that are on like curfew because of the mosquitoes. Like it's like a serious, uh, issue, mosquito borne illnesses. So basically, wow. uh, yeah, Yukon, uh, smack dab in the middle of, um, of Connecticut, Hartford, where they play the games is in Hartford. And, Essentially, they moved this game to noon because of that. Very strange. Wow. Uh, but, I mean, oh, like, separate from that, so we have, you know, legitimate health concerns uh, on one end. Yeah. On the other end, we have legitimate professional concerns for Charlie Strong in this game. This is the – I think this is the first game so far because I don't think either of us thought that Rutgers was going to open after the Michigan game – but I think this is the first game so far this season that I can say, number one, with a bullet, Charlie Strong 
should really, really, really win this game. Um, I cannot stress that enough. Uh, uh, not, not an anxiety bowl, by the way, just because of the situation at UConn with Randy Edsel. I think if if UConn were to flex on Randy Edsel, he would just shrug his shoulders and be like, yeah, that's cool, and just take it to the house. So not the definition of an anxiety bowl. It is definitely for USF. If USF, they were to lose- 11, USF's an 11-point favorite in this game. That's it. Mm, man. That's it. Um, this is a good morning slate. Um, I think the obvious pick here is Iowa at Michigan, but I don't know how obvious that is, big guy. But TCU at Iowa State, I'm Thank interested you. in. Tulane at Army, I'm interested in. There's plenty to move around and check out. Um, you know, there's not much to say for Maryland is going to be fine against an interim Rutgers, and Wisconsin's going to smack Kent State, and Oklahoma's going to smack Kansas. Um, Okie State at Texas Tech. Bud is fixated, and we'll talk a little bit about this more in the context of Iowa State, but Bud is fixated on this sort of like, who is the, um, who's the number three, who's the number four, and kind of maybe even number five in the Big 12. That Bill and I used to call it the cul-de-sac, the upper middle class of the ACC. But in regards to the, to the Big 12, Oklahoma State at Texas Tech is always a separation game every year. It'll be the same this year. Uh, I'm looking at I, – I will probably park it on TCU, Iowa State, I, just for nothing else. Of, um, I, I don't know if we have a minority coordinator of the week this week, but we do have, I think, a really interesting scheme matchup in just Iowa State and TCU. Like We talked last week about Iowa State kind of being the future of defenses and defending the spread um, and the up-tempo Big 12 systems, but like TCU and Gary Patterson were the future 10 years ago with his 4-2-5. Um, so I, I just think that'll be fun to watch both those defenses on display. Uh, Army was his favorite against Tulane, and then it switched over um, after the line opened. Really curious to see how, if Army's defense can hold up against Tulane's uh, Will Hall offense. Um, I am also uh, separately – This you may not want to watch this, but just kind of keep a monitor on it. Um, Howard and Harvard at noon on ESPN+. Okay. Plus. Uh, Howard's got a little situation going on. Um, if you remember, Howard beat UNLV a few years ago with Kayla Newton. Um, and uh, actually, the offensive coordinator on that team was Brennan Marion, who we have talked about um, at, at and is now at William & Mary. Uh, Howard, Mike London resigned last year. Uh, Marion was on that staff and moved on. And Howard hired Ron Prince to take over. Ron Prince of Kansas State fame, who took over after uh, Bill Snyder retired the first time back in, what was it, 07? Um, and so Ron Prince has taken over at Howard. It, it has not gone swimmingly for the bison. Um, it, I, I don't know. The Kalen Newton is transferring. He is in the transfer portal. I have seen the transfer portal with his name in it. Um, Could he end up, um, at an FPS school? I don't know. I, I would think so. I mean, he has immediate eligibility. You would think that it would probably work out. But I think I think Howard is one and three, one and four this season. Uh, New, no, they're one and four because Newton has only played in four games because because he sat out last week. So he's only played in four games, and I believe is a graduate transfer anyway. Um, and and will be looking to move on. But uh, that's a that's a scenario to monitor. What exactly is going on at Howard in Ron Prince's first year of his tenure? Uh, Iowa and Michigan, just to repeat uh, as we close out the morning slate, um, Iowa, if you are good, and I would like you to be good, and I would like this awesome, giant, insane uh, Midwestern 
block fest to happen with Wisconsin in a couple of weeks. But if you are good, you don't let Michigan write any of its ship against you. You don't let narrative change against you. You go in and you score points against Michigan in Ann Arbor. You have to do this if you want to be considered a serious threat. For Michigan, Michigan, the, Michigan's got the get right game out of their system. All right. You got right against yep. Rutgers. If you got right, it should show up again this Saturday. If it was a blip on the radar, it should show up again this Saturday. Uh, let's move to the afternoon at 2.30. Uh, Air Force goes to Navy. And we start our Commander-in-Chief trophy sort of playoff situation, basically. That's at 2.30 on CBS Sports Network. Auburn goes to Florida. CBS actually finally got a good quality SEC, SEC on CBS worthy SEC on CBS game at 2.30. Baylor goes to... Baylor goes to K-State at 2.30 on ESPN2. NBC is Bowling Green at Notre Dame. Illinois goes to Minnesota on the Big Ten Network. Texas is at West Virginia on ABC. And ESPN has Virginia Tech at Miami. Once a cool game, no longer. Arkansas State is at Georgia State on ESPN+. Ball State goes to Northern Illinois on ESPN3. Let's see here. Marshall is at Middle Tennessee at 2:30 on Facebook. ESPN Plus has Ohio at Buffalo, and let's see. Western Michigan goes to Toledo on Plus Uh, at 2:45. Memphis is at Louisiana Monroe. ULM. (laughs) What? I don't know. It's kind of weird. We have a a, a ton of afternoon games this year or this week. uh, moving on, North Carolina is at Georgia Tech at 3 o'clock on the ACC Network. Northwestern is at Nebraska at 3 o'clock on Fox. Troy is at Missouri at 3 o'clock on the SEC Network. And that should do it. Actually, 3.30 will stretch into 3.30 and cut it off after that. The Pac-12 Network has Arizona at Colorado. Um, okay. Um, I'll start by saying that Auburn, Florida is the game that you tune into on time, be prepared for. If it gets shitty in one direction the auburn, the the auburn being better than we thought direction um you have options here um i wonder if miami has the ability to punk vtech the way duke did um i am not sure about that i'm not sure about that um if i'm bud foster this may be the swan song i write uh, we yep. know Miami's got iffy defensive tackle situation. And, buddy, I bring the house. And I bring the house all afternoon. Okay. I mean, it's possible. I'm just – everyone expects Virginia Tech to open, and I don't think it's going to open immediately. I don't think it's going to open in the in, in the actual season. Um, I'm curious still about Miami as well. So, Bottom line is it's still it's still a win for the, given the situation for Miami it's still I wouldn't call it a quality win um, a, a complimentary win let's say if they were to beat VTech um, Texas should be fine at West Virginia um, we, Neil Brown has done some some pretty remarkable stuff considering the condition of that roster but this is not that week Illinois goes to Minnesota baby um, those Gophers better adjust they better adjust for Illinois. <sighs> This I'm would be a hell of a win. Talking about it, talk about adjusting or complimentary wins. This would be remarkable for Illinois. I doubt anyone would sort of notice it a week or two later that beating Minnesota would be considered remarkable, but it would be. <laughs> this would be a huge win for Illinois. 
Yeah, yeah. This, I mean, this would be this would be massive. Um, look, Minnesota. Minnesota's a two touchdown favorite. Um, so you know, we'll see. And uh, yeah, Minnesota's also at home. Um, so sure, Illinois is not expected to win this game. But if Illinois comes out and they get the script to go their way, like they did against like Nebraska, maybe they can pull something here. Who knows? Uh, Pay attention. Um, I, I wanted. Bet- I actually wanted to hit. Um, before we get to to it with a capital I, um, Navy and Air Force. So like, so you you this is kind of your forte. This is your wheelhouse. Like for all the pageantry and and of America's game, Army and Navy. Like Navy and Air Force is a fundamentally different dynamic. Yes, it's a little saltier. I'll say. Um, I think there's a little more acrimony between Air Force and the other two academies. And it definitely shows up. Um, I'm starting to become convinced of my theory that um, there's enough talent for 1.5 good service academy teams in the FBS at any given time. And I think that we're, if I'm right, we're about to see, we're we're, going to start to see how that shakes out. Now, I will say that Army's defense is not as good as last year. Their personnel has changed. But if there's one 10-win team um, of the service academies, there tends to be a pretty noticeable deficiency elsewhere. Navy had this for a decade. I kind of want to talk stakes because I think first and foremost, like first and foremost, this is Florida's biggest home game since 2015 besides last year's LSU game. I would argue it's a little bit different because last year it was sort of a grab bag, bag with Mullen's first year. You don't know what, what Florida's going to bring to the table, all that kind of stuff. I was at that game last year. It, it felt different because it was, because Florida won that game in a different way than they had a big game in the last few years. This is different because Florida at least has a modicum of expectation coming into it. You kind of know what Florida's going to do or what they should do. Um, and Auburn is a very, very good football team. Um, look, this sets up a, a make-or-break month for Florida. I mean, there's no other way to put it. Florida's got Auburn this week, LSU next week, and then Georgia uh, in early November. It, if, if you go 4-0, Florida's a playoff team. If not, then Florida's just the 9-3-ish and team than we expected. Like, it, it's that simple. It starts on Saturday. Um, you know, I feel like I'm giving a damn pep talk. But, like, mm-hmm. Florida did not Florida did not block well against Towson. And I know Towson, like, look, I know it's very beta, but Towson's the number five team in FCS S&P. Like, Towson's not bad. That does not excuse Florida at all. If Florida blocks like they did against Towson, against Auburn, Auburn will shut Florida out. Like, at Auburn's front is nasty. They, they, I don't know if they play an underclassman on defense at all. Auburn's is defense is. Uh, say again. I was gonna say, is it, well, just to flip it to the other side because it's funny, just by virtue of the fact that Franks has gone out, like we've kind of changed the way we were talking about this game. But like, could Grantham still confuse? Bo Nix, I mean, the possibility's there. Well, yeah, that's but... That defense is going to make you make bad decisions, or it's supposed to. Yeah, and that's what I'm going to say. I, I think the known factors in this game are both defensive fronts. I was going to get to Florida's defensive front. Like, Florida... Uh, Jonathan Grenard is probably the best pure pass rusher Florida's had since Dante Fowler, maybe before Dante Fowler in, in like, 2015, 2016. Like, Jonathan Grenard, uh, Louisville transfer, is a really, really good player who Auburn is going to have to account for. Um, and if they don't, he can wreck Bo Nix's day. 
Um, I, I don't think Auburn has faced a defense as good. I know Auburn hasn't faced a defense as good as Florida's since the Oregon game. Um, you know, the Mississippi, like when you watch Oregon or Auburn against Michigan's Mississippi State, it's such a I don't know. The, the script on that game was so weird because Auburn's immediately has a lead with like five minutes left to go in the, or five minutes into the first quarter. And so I, I don't know if you got a really good gauge of of Auburn with any sort of adversity in that game. That defense was really able to pin its ears back all night and come after um, and come after Mississippi State. So, you know, I, I, when I think about this game, I don't know. I, if, if I had to make a vested interest, it would be on Auburn. I'll say that. Um, okay. But it, it's a big one. It's a big it's the one. It's the one to watch, at least at first. And I know the Vegas line seems to disagree with me, but I think it could get, it could get uh, less interesting slash if, lopsided. If this, becomes, if, this, if this becomes a Kyle Trask two interceptions in the first half game, yeah, this game could get really ugly. Yeah. Honestly, right. and there's no other way to say it. Uh, let's move on to the evening uh, at five o'clock Central Time on ESPN Plus. Western Kentucky goes to Old Dominion. Six o'clock Georgia goes to Tennessee on ESPN. Um, we've got Rice going to UAB on ESPN Plus. We have UMass going to FIU. That's a that's an FBS game. UMass is going to FIU on ESPN three. Uh, Michigan State goes to Ohio State at 6.30 on ABC. Tulsa is at SMU at 6.30 on ESPNU. The SEC Network has Vanderbilt at Ole Miss. Fox has Cal at Oregon, 7 p.m. primetime. That's a good little showcase there for the for the Pacific 12 Conference. Uh, also at the same time, the ACC Network has Pitt at Duke. ESPN Plus has UTSA at UTEP. And I will cut it there no, it's kind of always hard to draw the line on where the night shift should begin i'll go ahead and include oregon state at ucla 8 p.m central time on the pack on the pack 12 network i usually use nine o'clock central as my nightcap starter well, so I was say, there's not much in a nightcap but we'll get to it um there's definitely not much in the nightcap um this is an interesting group he yeah. says diplomatically. Well, I, look, I, I think Michigan. We we both know Michigan State, Ohio State can go one of two ways. Um, if this is the Ohio State team that I think it is, I think Ohio State is going to smoke Michigan State. Honestly. Oh yeah, I think this is a bloodletting. It's it's. I mean, just watch the crawler. I don't even think it's worth watching just to start with. I think if you're trying to find something engaging, uh, it's Cal at Oregon because this is a really really good metric game for Oregon. You are going to measure a lot about Oregon from this game. I, um, I like I think Oregon when we talk about Oregon, we're always talking about the context of offense, the history yes. of offense, all that sort of stuff. I cannot wait to see if Oregon's defense can like snuff out an offense that it should be able to, I you know I watched the Arizona State game. Um, Cal obviously had some success in that game, but w I think when when Cal went downfield, the thing that you didn't see is any sort of push from Arizona State's front really in the middle. Um, you know, or uh, sorry, Arizona State was able to pinch on the edges, but Cal's quarterback steps up and there's absolutely no pressure coming from the middle, coming from inside. So he's able to step up into a cleaner pocket look and get the ball downfield. Um, Cal's got two freshman guards. The center, Michael Saffel, is a veteran. He's a junior. 
Um, but on the other side, Jordan Scott at nose tackle for Oregon is so fun to watch. He's like six foot even, 340 pounds, like just a low center of gravity, just mammoth guy to try and move. Um, so I do want to see if Oregon can anchor on defense and really make things frustrating for Cal. I don't think Oregon's going to score a ton of points, but 24 should be able to win this game against Cal with, uh, with what if, Oregon can do on defense. If you're interested in Georgia-Tennessee, I think it'll go a little bit the way Georgia-Vanderbilt went, where Georgia's not going to be explosive in any regard. They're just going to simply be better by virtue of not making mistakes and running the ball a good, a good amount. I don't think it's necessarily going to be weird. I don't think that Tennessee has the capability of so you're doing So you're, you're thinking a... You're thinking a thirty-four to nine, uh, yeah, thirty-four to nine, and then maybe like a sixteen or something like that for Tennessee if um, if there's a I don't know subs late. Basically, I think it's going to be unremarkable in every way, yet entirely effective for Georgia, which will continue to sort of have us asking questions about sort of like where they actually measure up. Um, they are really comfortable being like two Alabamas ago. They're like 2000... 2012, 2013. Yeah, like, yeah, 11 to 13 era. Like, we're still totally afraid of pre-Kiffin era, definitely, Alabama offense for sure. It's hard, it's hard to say, or it's hard to, to, to come to grips with the fact that I think Georgia's offense has gone, has thrown it back from Jim Chaney. Because it's kind of hard to throw an offense back from Jim Cheney. But with Cole yeah. as an offensive coordinator, it, it looks like Georgia has thrown it back. Now, I don't say taking a step back as in it is worse. I'm saying no. taking a step back, throwing it back as in as uh, 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 how diverse they'll get with their scheme. That's what I'm talking about. Um, Tennessee. Quick shout out. I, oh, so go ahead. I, I mean, I was going to say, look, Tennessee has had a – it's a weird week, man. This is Wednesday, um, Tuesday night. The Jeremy Banks situation. Uh, Jeremy Banks uh, is a linebacker from Tennessee. Had to apologize for um, being caught on a, uh, I think, a body cam or something in the back of a police car, telling somebody on a ride along along that he's from Memphis and they shoot cops in Memphis. And then there's a situation where the cops call Jeremy Pruitt to to help handle the situation, not in like a nefarious way that that just kind of happens in college towns. And Jeremy Pruitt is like, this is silly. I've been at four different places and and, you know, this has never happened. I, I believe there was an arrest warrant for Jeremy Banks because he hadn't paid a ticket. So the cops did arrest him and 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 Pruitt is like, oh, I thought he paid the ticket. This is a joke, all this kind of stuff. It's a very weird situation right now. Um, I think the pick here is Cal Oregon. Um, maybe pay attention to Pitt at Duke. That could be fun. Um, we'll talk about we'll talk with Bud a little bit about like Duke's health relative to the ACC, and this is just yet another year where Cutcliffe is going to be, you know, a step or two above the expectations and 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 doing it in the margins. It's very impressive. Um, nightcap, not much here. Uh, hold on, uh, you skipped over. Hold on, let's bring what it did back I skip? real quick. Uh, not not you skipped, but I'm saying it, we've talked a lot about SMU on this podcast this season being pretty good. If you want to watch them in a situation where they can just kind of let it all hang Control loose scrimmage. and just kind of run for sixty yeah. minutes, like yeah, they're gonna kill. Yeah, that's why I didn't mention it. Is they're just gonna kill Tulsa. Well, yeah, but I'm I'm saying if you want to see the offense humming, watch it against Tulsa. Um, it, it's it's kind of fun. All right, nightcap time. Um, 
Hooey. Okay. Uh, San Diego State goes to Colorado State on ESPN2 at 9 o'clock. Boise State goes to the University of Nevada at Las Vegas at 9.30 on CBS Sports Network. Washington goes to Stanford, 9.30 on ESPN. And then a TBA on Aggie Vision, which I know it'll be in the evening. I'm not sure when, is Liberty at New Mexico State. The first of two matchups, I might add, this season. Um, Richard. Stanford is bereft of anything that could trip up Washington, right? Yeah, probably. I mean, like, okay. Stanford, so look, Stanford will start the same offensive line combination this week in uh, for the first time in consecutive games this season. Um, all their freshmen are still backups, so they're still dealing with some of the issues up front there. Um, I Washington should be in, will be fine in this game. Um, I, I have nothing to to think that Stanford is going to be able to win this game. Um, Unless all right. So happens. I guess if you want to do a late night sort of combo pick, I would just check between Boise State should run through UNLV no problem. If San Diego State goes up big on Colorado State, that may be sort of the bow. You know, putting a bow on the tenure of both Mike Bobo. And uh, and Tony Sanchez at UNLV, and those jobs are both expected to open. So that's something to watch for. Otherwise, like I said, it's 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 pretty thin on the nightcap. So um, decent week, um, not not by definition a bad week. Um, I just this is one where I'll just go ahead and say it to, to create the curse, Richard. I don't see a lot of potential for weirdness, which means weirdness will bloom aggressively. Yeah, I are are both. Both Alabama Clemson off. Yeah, it's a sleepy week. Alabama's off. I know that. I believe Clemson is as well. It's a sleepy week. All right. Well, hey, don't sleep on it because, as we've said multiple times, when you sleep on it, stuff can happen. Shout out to like 98 combined points in the Northwestern Nebraska game or something along those lines. Or like. Troy going in and manhandling Missouri or something like that. Those things could happen. So that's the level of weird that we'll get to talk about on Sunday. Richard, um, I will see you sort of for the Sunday hurry up. Bud, um, every week you send me a list of notes of things you want to talk about. And every week, at least one of your bullet points inspires me just to read it verbatim. So we're going to start your segment this week with the phrase, Duke broke the option out for that ass. Yeah, so Duke, we were wondering how they're going to replace Daniel Jones. A lot of us had questions about Daniel Jones as an NFL guy, but there's no doubt he was a really good college quarterback for for Duke, considering Duke doesn't really have a whole lot of talent around him. Uh, but, man, David Cutcliffe is a really good football coach, and they have a mobile quarterback. Their passing game is not that good, and they're leaning into it. They're like, guess what? <laughs> Here's a bunch of options from the gun. Let's let's go. And they were uh, – The one thing – the one thing that jumps out at me about Duke was, so we have this working theory now that you've developed where if certain teams are winning the conference, it's a sign of poor health overall. And, you know, when Duke was in the Peach Bowl against A&M, what, you know, way back, that that it seemed odd. You know, it seemed odd that Duke was this consistent for as long as they were. Um, there's, Bud, to me, and, and you know more about the ACC than anyone, I, I don't know if that applies to Duke anymore. I think this is just a really quality program, and... You know, it's not the same as Wake Forest going to the Orange Bowl. I, I agree with you in some regards. Duke, to me, is a program that is extremely good at not beating itself, right? They're they're sort of Northwestern-y in that regard. I, I, ignore the fact that Northwestern's offense has just fallen off a cliff this year. But 
as a program, like Duke is really good at making you execute to beat them. They will not typically just give you the game. Now, if you are really good, you'll execute and you'll beat them. But for a number of teams in this league, and particularly for a number of teams in Duke's division, this strategy is extremely effective. Uh, and right now, as we saw Virginia Tech, just numerous mistakes in that game. Uh, I, don't, I wouldn't classify this as one that, that VT just gave to Duke, but certainly VT made it a little bit easier for Duke, and, and Duke went out and took it and, and just, you know, they they freaked the oop on that. Um, we will get to the Virginia Tech situation in terms of job security for Fuente probably another week or two as we sort of round into October and things start to Their heat up. Their recruiting class, by the have... way, is a disaster. Well, bud, you're the king of segues. Um, before we actually sort of assemble, hey, here's the list, plus Rutgers, plus anyone else who opens probably in the next 10 days, which might be some schools, um, where – let me do this. We'll do a little role play, bud. Get ready. Can you sell me on keeping Justin Fuente at Virginia Tech? I know that obviously they made the preseason announcement that Bud Foster was going to retire effective after the end of the 19 season. Obviously, that that, that was very much a – I don't want to say PR stunt, but it was a um, it, it was a clear message that Fuente wanted to go ahead, have his own guy at DC, and there were going to be some changes regardless of the outcomes this year. They have since moved towards bottoming out. So can you sell me on keeping him? Sure, yeah. Um, if paying a $15 million buyout is going to make your finances for hiring a new coach, and that includes probably buying out that new coach from whatever job he's in, if that is going to severely limit your candidate pool uh, and the ability to surround him with the coordinators he wants uh, and the ability to give him the support staff that he'll likely desire, uh, then I think you should just go ahead and hold on and, and keep Fuente because then you're basically, uh, you're, you're not, if, if, if that buyout makes it so that you lack an ability to uh, implement an effective solution with the next coach, then yeah, just save your money, let the buyout go down a little bit more uh, and then potentially you know, make a move on him the next year. But if it's not, then then no, because there's nothing moving in the right direction with this program right now. They, they're they're getting worse every season that he's there. Their recruiting is uh, I mean, literally dead last in the ACC right now at 14 out of 14. Now, it's not the end of the recruiting cycle yet, but uh, they don't have a whole lot of momentum on the trail. Uh, Do they normally close late or something? Man, there's just not a whole lot of juice right now. And then there are not a whole lot of kids talking about talking about VT. So that really of all the things that you could sort of look at, even even the immediate wins and losses, that seems to be the most damning for Fuente is that there's no momentum coming. This isn't one of those sort of situations where hold tight, things are going to work themselves out. One of the schools that we've been talking about, for instance, is Indiana. Very, very different set of circumstances. But um, people at Indiana are very happy with the way Tom Allen is kind of slowly building up Indiana's brand and recruiting, both in the actual state of Indiana and then in key other areas. Tom Allen was a defensive coordinator at South Florida. He knows Florida pretty well. Um, I hear that, you know, people aren't exactly over the moon with the idea of another five and seven season in Bloomington, but at the same time, there's proof of concept down the line. And, and there's, I think there's an increasing value, bud, in in really looking at what you've got lined up for early signing when you're having these referendums on your coach. There's no doubt. Yeah, this is kind of what we talked about in, on an episode, what, three or four weeks ago, where 
like the early signing period has really changed the higher fire cycle. And I think there are even, yeah. even more changes to it coming. Um, all right. Um, speaking of changes. So Rutgers, um, of course, did me a solid by firing uh, Ash pretty much, I would say, moments after we finished recording the Sunday show. But as these things go, um, Rutgers is going to make a non-triple option hire. They're going to. I mean, I, I I don't see, you know, other than people like myself getting out there in the media and talking about how they should go to the triple, there's been no substantial talk about going to the triple. Um, you know, obviously right now the biggest name in that situation is Greg Schiano. There's a lot of baggage there. There's a lot of a lot of different kinds of context as to like what Rutgers was, you know, with Greg Schiano. The one that immediately comes to mind, bud, for me is that this feels a lot like Bobby Petrino in Louisville in that. When Bobby Petrino went back to Louisville, Louisville went to the ACC, which is a very, very different world than the Big East that Louisville got so, you know, got fat in. Rutgers is basically the same situation. If Greg Schiano goes back to Rutgers, in my opinion, this is not going to be the Big East landscape that he was so successful in. It's going to be extremely different, dramatically different, even more so than Louisville going to the ACC. You're now sitting in the same division as you know, perennial national title favorites, and you're so far behind in recruiting. Now, you, you're saying that going to the option is an admission of of your ceiling. Do you mean that in a way of, hey, Rutgers, let's just out and out admit this is your ceiling or hold off just yet? No, I'm saying if you as an AD hire an option coach, like, like a traditional triple coach, you know, flex bone under center type dude, you're yeah. admitting that you're not going to be competing for titles. Now, that's an admission that should be obvious to everyone at Rutgers. But right. it's a little bit different of messaging if you, the, the AD, actually do it, right? Like, you're not going to win a title running that offense because you can't get recruits to buy into the idea of running something that is so different from what you have in the NFL. I think an option coach would be great at Rutgers, right? Like, that'd be something different. You're talking about a, a football team that, that most programs in the Big Ten already overlook. They'd, they'd probably, you know, have an advantage in some of those games just as far as keeping them close. But the real thing is you just you got to make sure that the AD and the and the coach are on the same page. Like you need three absolute cupcakes in the non-conference every year if you want to have any chance of making a bowl. And Rutgers has had a very very strange scheduling philosophy these last couple of years. I, I I don't Like the Boston College game, yeah. you can't play that. If if I'm taking that job, well, we're not playing Boston College. We're not doing anything. Why that are you playing stuff. Washington? Like, why are you going? Why are you playing Washington? Why are you playing West Coast teams at all? With what you've got on your schedule and the situation that you're in, and by the way, I took a look at the um, uh, a source was sending around the salary pool. Um, it's sort of a moot point, I think, on a lot of these coaches that are being rumored for Rutgers because unless they boost their salary pool, it's just it's flat out. It's just not going to happen. How much happen. are we talking? Um, uh, it's you know I'd have to pull it up, but basically it's it's comparable to I mean it's comparable to a lot of G five like under three seen it, it right in that okay. neighborhood, but but I think the math is is under that. The point is the coordinator hire specifically were the first thing I looked at, and then I then I was talking with agents about like well then who do you draw in, and when you go in and meet in Piscataway and say like hey here's my staff, I mean it, it negates a lot of your number one number two maybe even two A two B choices on offensive defensive coordinator, so that makes the job even less appealing. So when I hear names like Joe Moorhead, I just kind of have to scratch my head and it's not, a try I'm not trying to create a referendum on, on like the big 10 or the sec or what jobs better. It's just that I know what jobs paying more. And 
you know, that's one thing for a head coach salary. It's another thing for a salary pool, which is going to become a much more important talking point as we move forward because head coaches, especially guys going through their second or third time or guys who have made a decent amount of money but now really want to compete for a title, they're going to, again, it's that CEO style, bud, right? The, the sort of Dabo model. They they want a bigger salary pool so they can bring in and do the CEO executive thing where you have, you know, a million dollar coordinator on both sides of the ball. So can, I don't know. Can I make, they're not going to the options. Can I make a case for why Moorhead might want to take it? Yeah, I think there is a case. Go ahead. Okay. So he comes in Mississippi state year one, uh, does not do a good enough job of fitting his offense to Fitzgerald, who's not. He was a terrible passer of the football, right? But a pretty good runner. And they did, they yes. never got anything going on offense. They, in the eyes of myself, and I think probably a lot of their fans, squandered a really, really like once in a generation for a school like that quality defense. This year, through absolutely no fault of his own, uh, some of his better players are suspended for you know, eight of the twelve games. And so he's going to be starting off there in Mississippi State with two back-to-back, somewhere between disappointing and very disappointing seasons relative to expectations while you have powers in that league who are seemingly becoming more stable and have a higher ceiling, like AM and you know Auburn and LSU and now has an offense. Like If he reads the tea leaves there and is like, damn, some of this stuff isn't my fault at all, but they're going to see me as having like, no, it's like not. disappointment after disappointment. I can get back to Northeast and get a fresh start. Yeah, and I, I think that is that should be the narrative right now for Moorhead. And and none of what you said is untrue. It's just that I don't know. If you look at long term ceilings, I guess it's all really relative to expectations. I have a piece so coming out on with this, a, by the way, as far as what schools I, like Rutgers could do to get some more attractive coaches with with creative contracts. So look for that on Well, you know, was, I was talking to a head coach the other day, someone who's who's looking for a job or sort of someone who's going to be in the cycle. And and he kept going back to one thing, which was it's about expectation relative to your place. And I think there's an, I, I think we're swinging the pendulum back towards a, a less hysterical mindset at some of these places where no coach you hire is going to get up there on the podium on the first day and say, guys, this is a mid-level job. I'm going to, at best, have a nine and three season buttressed by a lot of seven and five campaigns because that's what's available in terms of resources and talent development here. And also, we have a murderous schedule, right? No one's going to say that publicly, bud. Even though that's it's it's basically our job to say that. Like, hey, good hire. You're, you're probably going to go eight and four. No fan wants to hear that. That's the reality. We talk every week about these congealing superpowers above even the top 25 now, that that class of seven or eight programs. That's only going to continue. That gap is only going to widen. So if you're a Joe Moorhead and you're at Mississippi State thinking about Rutgers, I think it, what it really comes down to, other than getting your guys paid quality of life and stuff like that, is where what place is going to think that they should fire you first even though you're actually a good football coach? That's a lot of what the basis is for this article I have coming out, right? Like, you can't say that kind of stuff in your press conference, but I think there's some stuff that you can do uh, to where those goals are reflected contractually. And I think that that, yeah. that could be a trend and, that we could see happening in college football. So I'm, I'm pretty I'm talking to an AD next week about this who has actually kind of done this at a lower level. Um, I'm, I'm excited here. This is kind of cool. I, I actually, this is the first time I mentioned it to you because you were out of town, but we should definitely uh, chat about this more after the show. Yeah. 
Uh, Mississippi State, speaking of uh, smooth transitions, so you figured out their their strategy on suspensions. Yeah, so last week they sat everybody against Auburn, right? They also sat everybody uh, against Kansas State. The only game that Willie Gay has played so far was um, the Kentucky game, right? Yep, and what's the difference between those three games? SEC. They beat Kentucky. Right, well, yeah, exactly. And so I think what they're doing is they are trying to play those impact guys in the games who, in their mind, are sort of like winnable slash toss-ups in the SEC. So, like, you could have used them against Kansas State. In fact, if they play against Kansas State, you might beat Kansas State. You only lost by a touchdown at home. But I guess to Mississippi State, the SEC games matter more, which is not a not a crazy thought. Um, so I think you'll see them play against Tennessee next weekend. I think okay. they'll probably sit them against LSU and just take the blowout. I think they'll probably sit them against A&M and take the – potential blowout maybe i think you'll play him against arkansas unless you think that you can sit him and still win which is a possibility in which case you might play him against mississippi state you'll sit him against bama and just take just take the blowout you'll you'll sit him against what is acu abilene christian probably yeah uh, and then you'll play him in the egg bowl so i think you're going to see him against tennessee the egg bowl and then either a&m or arkansas depending on how they feel about beating arkansas without those guys does that make sense it, to you? It makes total sense. It's not a bad theory. It's just not one that you can espouse publicly like we just talked about. It, 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 this is something that makes total sense if you're going to weather the storm. It is bizarre to some degree to see how different the team looks with one defensive player in or out of the game. But that's Well, that's two, because Autry. Right. But you're, now, so wait, is your theory applying to all of the players or just yes. really gay? Ah, okay. So you're boosting no, everything. Well, well the, the impact guy. So Autry and gay. I probably would do the same thing. I, I don't think that you waste them against Alabama, LSU, against, um, you know, K-State maybe. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that one because I do think that was sort of like a toss-up game. It ended up being more of a toss-up game than they realized. I think they went into that game, bud, thinking that, like a lot of us in the national media, that this was year one at K-State, new head coach. They didn't They didn't have a, a grasp yet on – what they had and what they were doing. And we were very wrong about that. That K-State is very much a K-State team. I know they they lost Oklahoma State, but like they're going to have a fine season. They're going to be K-State. So I think they underestimated K-State to some degree. Now, sitting them against Auburn, did Auburn – did I misread that situation? And, and, and did Starkville just believe that Auburn was a total inevitability? I kind of thought that maybe a couple weeks ago – State would have considered Auburn uh, maybe not a winnable game, but a game that they could challenge and maybe make something happen in. I think with their with the quarterback injuries that, that State has had, maybe, maybe Auburn became more of a – I mean, they are they were, what, an 11 or 12-point dog in that game? And Auburn's been playing very well defensively. Now, if you had a time machine and they could do it over, my guess is that they do play them against Kansas State, and then they probably decide to roll the dice against Arkansas. Okay. You know what I mean? And just say, we can beat Arkansas on the road regardless. Arkansas is, is pretty god-awful. You would think that that's the case, yes. However, you saw the reanimated sort of zombie corpse against A&M in certain stretches in that 11 o'clock game last week. Um, for some reason, I watched a lot of that. Because um, the rest of the noon games were terrible? Yeah, and I mean, it was close. And, and you know, it was like the most functional they've looked. Um talk about proof of concept uh 
they should be able to beat Arkansas in any circumstance with or without their their top defensive line. They, mm-hmm. Yes, they should. Autry, Gay, anybody really. I mean, as long as they have a they they are more talented by far in all the in all the comparable areas. However, it's not a given. If they lose one of these games by by doing this and this is acknowledged publicly in any way, then I think he could face a lot of criticism. Although I again, but I don't know another way in which I would do it. I sh- I sure as hell would not trot them out against LSU. I mean, your your answer if you're Moorhead and somebody fig- like just points this out and asks you about it, say, "Look, I, guys, I I don't know what you're talking about. I, I can't comment on any uh, student discipline related matter due to FERPA." It's weird. It's it, it's a it's a unique situation. It's very strange. I wonder if we'll now off the record, again. his answer would be, uh, "What do you want us to do? Play him against Bama and lo- lose by twenty one instead of twenty eight, and then risk losing to to Ole Miss or Tennessee? Come on, guys. Winning if they win the Egg Bowl, I don't think anybody's going to care. If they, if, I'll put it this way: if they win the Egg Bowl and get to a bowl this year and survive this situation, that that that's the metric. I mean, that's how Matt Luke kept his job at Ole Miss was by beating Mississippi State in the Egg Bowl." There, there is a weight to these rivalry games in these less than less than elite programs that people underestimate to this day. It is a uniqueness in college sports, specifically in college football, because you only play each other once. Um, the equity from the Egg Bowl can't be uh, overstated, even though it's it's incredibly illogical at times to invest that much in a game that doesn't mean anything. But they sure as hell do. Um, I just ran my numbers real quick on this. Yeah, I've got them at an eighty five percent chance of getting bowl eligible. So, I yeah, mean, they should. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they're going to make a bowl. I'm this is sure. states. States one of those teams you should be very easily identify the instant losses and pretty much everything else. They should have a fighting chance in if they manage the suspensions right. You know, there's not a ton of toss up left. Um, but you've been on a mission to identify the middle class, the upper level, the 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 nice suburban cul de sac, as Bill and I used to talk about the ACC for the Big Twelve. Are you sold yet on Iowa State as a clear-cut three or four or what? Well, kind of all summer, weren't we told that Iowa State was clearly the best third team in, in, in the Big 12, if not potentially pushing for number two? Iowa, sta- Iowa, State, the- was, Iowa State was hyped over schedule as much as Purdue was in the Big 10, yes. Yeah, and I'm just – I'm ready to throw them back in there with that kind of uh, uh, like – Baylor, who beat them, obviously. Matt Campbell, not a real good job of game management in that game, by the way. Um, kicking 49-yard field goals on on uh, on fourth and four. Probably not not the best uh, expectation play there, Matt. Uh, like, they're clearly above Kansas, West Virginia, and I think I'm ready to drop Texas Tech until they get their quarterback back. So that's kind of my, my bottom triumvirate. Okay. And then Texas still clear two, Oklahoma still clear one for me. But then you got, like, Iowa State, Baylor, Okie State, TCU, and Kansas State, that's sort of like three through seven range, right? Yeah, three through seven is very toss-up-y to me. Um, I'm not I'm not seeing a whole lot to love with, with, with Iowa State here that makes them stand out above everybody else in that league who in the preseason many thought they were above. Into uh, the year, what is the what is the non- OU non-Texas cul-de-sac look like three four five I'm not asking so much for like a hot take bold prediction but is it going to be identifiable or do you think that we're just going to it's going to continue to sort of be week by week which is very possible in the big 12 this wouldn't be the first year that it's hard to discern a middle class it might be Baylor just because of the schedule 
Yeah. Um, I mean, Okie State already lost to Texas, and Baylor did beat Iowa State. Until TCU gets better quarterback play, I have a hard time believing that they would be in, in three through five. So it's probably going to be Baylor, Okie State, Iowa State in some order. You mentioned Baylor. Um, Baylor comes to another extension with Matt Rule this week. Um, it's a pretty, it's a, it, it's a strange situation. I don't even know how I feel about it yet. I'm gonna be honest with you. Like, uh, it, it came at a time in which you don't normally see these things. Uh, the extension now takes him to all the way through 2027. This is a it, it's it's big, it's substantial. I'm trying to uh, pull the actual numbers here as we talk. Um, I think a lot of this had to do with the fact that he was so heavily courted by the NFL. Um, I still assume that, let's say, as we've talked about, James Franklin goes to USC, for instance, bud. Matt Rule would certainly be on the list of people that Penn State would go talk to. Penn State, inarguably, a better job than Baylor. If you're Matt Rule, you don't turn down a substantial extension, right? Because it's it's security, it's it's a bird in the hand. Do you want to be at Baylor this long? Where, like, where are you capping out at Baylor? I mean, I, th- I think you have the leverage to to get this done, right? Like, you're you're showing success at Baylor, and Baylor is a limited ceiling program. They have to pay up to get you. Like, they remember how Baylor got Matt Rule in the first place. They they had to overpay. They gave him what it was it was seven years seven yeah. years fully guaranteed, right? I, like Baylor had to overpay due to the situation they're bringing him in. They probably have to overpay to keep him. Now the other issue we don't know is do, I don't have a copy of the contract. I assume you don't either because it, it's a it's a private school, right? A lot of the details we have are no public. idea if there are any outs like if there are any outs in this deal. You know NFL outs maybe specific school provisions we've seen that before right like hey the buyout is this unless this school comes calling and then it's x like that could easily be in there it's a private school we we don't know or i i don't know at least um last year they had the largest increase in wins by a power five program i like what he's doing i don't know what the sustainability is and i'm really curious so obviously there is a lot of there's a lot of good. There's a lot of good feelings between he, Mac Rhodes is a very tactful guy, the AD at Baylor. So, and I've I've always liked Matt Rule as a coach, and he's pretty sharp. I think he's he's a great um, he's a great flexible evaluator, and and doesn't how many times do we have to say it, bud? You don't fit players to scheme; you fit scheme to players. I think he's done that really well. Um, I'm just curious. This is a guy that we sort of assumed would come in and, and be a stabilizing force, which he has been, and then move on. And the idea of him being a 10 to 15-year coach in Waco is just not something we expected. Yeah, no, it, it would certainly be, be surprising to me. Um, so so I guess what I'm saying to, alluding to, without no, without seeing the particulars of the contract, because it is a private school, um, maybe something still happens. It's possible. But you... Uh, Awesome weekend for the AAC. I love these little notes now, bud, in, in your show, uh, on your side of the show list, because we're winning you over to talking about the G5 voluntarily. Look, we are not afraid to speak negatively about the G5 when they underperform or when they make ridiculous claims. Uh, but when they do well, <laughs> we, we, we should we should recognize it, right? And I was sitting there, like, I, I, I try to sort the schedule by conference so I can look to see if I, if I see any trends within a conference. I was like, well, damn. Okay, CSC, this Memphis defense looks pretty good. Still have major questions about Brady White, but Memphis uh, playing some really good defense. That guy, uh, 
great. Now that I'm on the show, I didn't write it down. Memphis's defensive coordinator, I think, is going to get some P5 looks in a hurry. He has transformed that defense. They are they're, they're gap sound. They match patterns well in previous games, at least. And then in this game, they did a pretty nice job against the option of Navy, showing it versatility, ability to defend multiple schemes. That Memphis's defense, uh, Nor- Norvell made a hell of a hire, and maybe we'll put this in the show notes or something. What, what, what that dude's name is? Because it's I'm totally blanking on it. Adam Fuller. There you go. Where did he come from? Um, Adam Fuller has been there for a while, and then he came from Marshall. Okay, that's right. He was at Marshall. Uh, like, no, I'm sorry. He was actually he was a 2019 hire. Yes, so they did they did switch out. Um, because the defensive coordinator at Memphis, I went to. Oh man, now we're really blanking on ourselves. I can't remember who he replaced. Um, anyway, uh, yes, the AAC looks good. Um, Temple beat the hell out, out of Georgia Tech. SMU uh, helped establish themselves as an upper tier AAC team. Unfortunately, they did lose their best defensive player uh, for the year to a knee, I believe, a knee injury. So that's something to watch when they play some better offenses. Uh, Houston beat the dog, beat the heck out of North Texas. I know. Right? And With, nobody without, saw that coming. So here's the question. Like, Derek King had, is not going to be back next year. There's no, no. way. He, he's not a dude who throws the ball like that necessarily, although I do kind of have questions about if the injury stuff was, was hampering him some. Houston looked great. North Texas, I mean, just inexcusably bad performance for them. I believe they allowed a punt return touchdown and a kickoff return touchdown as well. Um, just total laid an egg there. That's a really nice win for, for, for the AAC. And then the most important one to me, Cincinnati goes and beats a Marshall team that, that I think yes. is pretty solid. And Absolutely. Welcome back, Desmond Ritter. I think he was all, 19 of 22 for like 11 yards in attempt. Like, dude, get some. All right. All of, all of a sudden, I feel a lot better about endorsing Cincinnati as, as still a program on the rise. And that game should that game did not get the amount of attention it deserved on on Saturday. It was a it was a huge win for Cincinnati, who was just completely like muted and shut down by Ohio State. It might be the best team in college football. We don't know. Um just as a couple things real quick, it's almost impossible to figure out what's going to happen in Conference USA. Um, it's it's just messy. Um, the second thing I wanted to say is, so Jeff Collins brings Georgia Tech into Temple essentially to lose to the machine that he created. Um, now with Matt Rule, Jeff Collins, now it's, uh, it's Rod Carey. Temple seems to be uh, way more consistent than anyone expected and has survived a number of coaching changes. They continue to create, I mean, essentially winning seasons, earning bowl bids. This was one of the worst programs in college football in the 2000s. I'm really, really shocked that they didn't, and, you know, look, if they don't recruit to the level in which Collins had them, which is sort of vis-a-vis the level that Rule had them, it, it can fall apart very quickly and easily. We've seen that. But the amount of consistency that Temple's built thus far has gone, I think, under-recognized, and they've done a hell of a job. Totally agree. Also, injury notes here. Uh, Georgia Tech lost its starting center for the year in that game and also its top receiver for the year. So things might get worse uh, for, for Collins there at Georgia Tech. Um, back to Ritter real quick. I, I do think it's, I think the effect that his injury had on him might've been understated in the media. Like okay, he played really bad for about 10 quarters. I think it was. And then he lit a good Marshall defense up to your question about what will happen in the CUSA. 
Man, you know who's finally got their passing game looking right again after kind of being kind of weird for the first couple uh, couple weeks? Who's that, bud? Lane Kiffin. It's possible. Also, they, don't sleep on La Tech, I guess. I mean, Louisiana. I feel like Louisiana Tech's the most forgotten team in the in the group of five. I I agree. They're they, within see within CUSA, their schedule is is tough because they do have to go to Marshall, and then they they also they they don't get to dodge. Southern Miss, obviously, um, that's not super easy. Southern Miss, I think, is still fairly decent. North Texas, we'll see. At least that wasn't a conference game they lost to uh, uh, to Houston. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's going to be interesting. It's wide open. All right, bud. Um, nice job, AAC. Real fast, you've got you a couple questions for this week's games, and then we're going to get into uh, the gambling. You have two burning questions here. One. Uh, we'll go. We'll stay in the uh, in the G five. Uh, can Cincinnati block UCF? Yeah. So that was my real question about Cincinnati. We knew their defense was very good. Uh, my my two questions were basically like, is Ritter is is he going to get healthy and get right? Uh, and the answer to that is pretty emphatic. Yes. Uh, the other question is UCF's offensive line has had, or excuse me, Cincy's O line this year has had a little bit of struggles. They they were not very good against UCLA in the opening game. In some subsequent games, they also struggled a bit. I had trouble separating that from Ritter's quality of play at times, but uh, if Cincy can block UCF, then Cincy's going to have a chance to win this game. If Cincy ends up in passing situations all the time, despite the fact that I do like Ritter, I don't know if they're good enough in like passing down spots to win that game. So some consistency on standard downs for them to throw back to SB plus um, by by blocking well up front is going to be really really big in that one. All right, your next question. Can Florida throw under pressure against Auburn and the best defense in college football? Yeah, so I, I looked at this and I was like, okay, what what defenses has Trask faced so far? Because if you look at on the surface, Trask has done a really nice job filling in for Felipe Franks. However, um, Tennessee is one of the worst defensive lines in, in the entire SEC. And Kentucky's is just kind of okay, but I don't think you would call it like an upper half SEC defensive line, right? We really have not seen Trask have to throw under consistent pressure. Florida's offensive line this year is, I think we would agree, is the weakness of the team. Yep. Um, and the step up in competition for Florida, uh, going from Kentucky, Tennessee, who are the two FBS teams they've faced since Trask has had to come in, to Auburn's defensive line is, is pretty significant. If Florida can can throw the football under pressure in this game, I think they're going to have a really good chance to win it because I do think that they'll defend Auburn decently enough in, in, in the games in the swamp. If this gets up like three and a half, four, I'm going to end up taking Florida. Um, but that's a real question I have because we really haven't seen Trask uh, w- w- when he's being bothered. Um, let's go straight to the gambling. All right, let's do it. Uh, I actually want to let's do the let's do your week seven look ahead lines first as we close out. Um, I'm gonna rattle these off and then we'll kind of go back. Um, so these are your projected look ahead lines, okay, for week seven. Uh, USC at Notre Dame, you got Notre Dame, uh, an 11 point favorite. Uh, Florida at LSU, you've got LSU also an 11 point favorite. Alabama, a 17 point favorite going to AM. Oklahoma, an 11 point favorite going to Red River against Texas. 
Penn State is a pick 'em at Iowa. Interesting. Michigan State is at Wisconsin. Wisconsin is a nine-point home favorite. And then Clemson is a 27-point favorite at home against Florida State. Miami is a seven-point favorite at home against Virginia. That's going to be a really interesting game. And Louisiana Lafayette is a two-point favorite at home against App. Um, What jumps out at me the most here? Um, 27 feels right for Clemson. I, I, I probably wouldn't push on that at all. Uh, is is the Alabama, is that low on the road, 17? The thing is, in these in these games, Jimbo, when he has the inferior team, is going to play super slow, right? So you're going to have okay. you're going to have a, a fewer number of possessions. It's 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 hard to cover a really big number against Jimbo teams because he plays one of the slowest tempos in the entire nation. I mean, I can I can yeah. pull it up. Uh, they're they they just they play super slow. I mean, he wants to play like like a ten possession game, and it, it's it can be hard to to cover large numbers there. I also think that nobody has really exposed uh, Bama's freshman linebackers yet. And I, th- I do think Jimbo could be able to do that some in this game. I'm not really sure if they'll score a whole lot, but they might be able to move the ball, possess the ball some. Um, on the other hand, like, yeah, it, Bama's passing game looks so good. That this this could be 24 to nothing 20 minutes into the game. If Wisconsin's only a nine-point favorite against Michigan State at home, does that mean that it's going to be nine to nothing? Because I can't imagine Michigan State scoring points at football at Wisconsin. Yeah, this is probably going to be like 24-15, you know? Yeah. yeah. Did that Northwestern game mean anything? Like, I can't figure it out. Like, I can't figure out, is Wisconsin just going to, like, glide through the West and play Ohio State and probably lose? Uh or was that Northwestern game indicative of something else? I don't think they're going to glide through it. I mean, Iowa could beat them. Is that game? Yeah, that game's in Camp Randall. That game's that's in Camp only, Randall. Yeah, um, that's the that's the only one that really jumps out to me. I mean, they, they're going to be fine with the rest of the the division at this point. At Nebraska, I don't think is a total lock. Um, yeah. I'm not a believer in Minnesota yet as a team. I think they've had a lot of lucky wins. No. But no, we we look. We I, talked about this on the hurry up, bud. We may not know. Like Minnesota, maybe we called it secretly shitty at seven and zero. Like we, it's just the the way that schedule's breaking. And and I again, I don't want to speak ill of a program on the rise. And we love usurpers. And hey, it's a fun story. But like ascribing a high level of quality to them might not be the best idea at the moment. Yeah. No. I I I think that's totally fair. The one thing reason I wouldn't rule it out is. Like they've played at an above average level, just not an amazing level. And that game is November 30th. So they do have about two more months to really figure out what they are. Yeah. And it's on the road. It's it's potential for for an upset type thing. I think within division, probably Iowa is the one you have to worry about the most. I I was pretty decent. Bud, you uh have a fifty five percent win rate on the year. Eighty nine percent of the bets this week are beating the market. Tell me something good. As we close out this week, uh, if I'm late to the window, what am I doing? Oh, man, I was going to brag about how if you were early to the window with us, you could have got Penn State at 17 against Purdue, and now it is 28. Oh, wait, okay, let, then we'll pivot real fast. You constantly tell people on social, on the Twitch show on Sundays, get in on the early lines. Get in on the early lines. So if I'm getting in on the early lines, I'm now making good money off of it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, we. So 26 bets so far this week. 23 of the 26 have moved in our favor. Two have not moved, and only one 
has moved against me. That if, if that holds, that would be the highest rate of the year. Um, I mean, 89% moving in your favor are pretty ridiculous. Uh, yeah, we grabbed Penn State at 17. It's now 28. We took Miami at 8.5. It's now 14. Uh, we took the Oklahoma State, Texas Tech under at 68. It's now 63. We grabbed Middle Tennessee State at 8.5 at home, hosting Marshall. Uh, that's now down to four. Um, we took Tulane as a dog at Army, and they're they're now favored by three. Uh, yeah, like pr- pretty solid stuff here. Now, if there's stuff that you still want, right, that hasn't moved a whole lot, uh, I think the under in Cal Oregon at 46 is still worth the play. I'm not sure how many people stayed up to watch the game between Cal and Arizona State, but Chase Garber's uh, he's hurt. He, he's in a sling. He's not going to play. And their backup for Cal uh, was horrendous. I think he was like five of 14 for like. 30 yards. It was just, they were done once once he went out. I also think Liberty on the road at New Mexico State laying four and a half is, is still solid. And I think Buffalo, we, we took four. It's three and a half now. Um, I, I think that they have a real shot to beat Ohio uh, on the outright. Bud Elliott, we'll see you next week, sir.